As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Jesse Lingard. So foul. Delivers the cross. It's dropped to Ben Rama. Say Ben Rama! It is his moment! He's been waiting for that! At last, it's arrived! And it could be a priceless goal for West Ham United! Hello and welcome to You Irons, the West Ham podcast from the good people at The Athletic with me, Sam Delaney, and The Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. Rashane, hello, how are you? Let's just kick it off. What did you make of that um, draw against Brighton? Were you disappointed or were you proud? I was disappointed and I saw it coming, Sam. Mm. You I did, actually. It. You've yeah. been worrying about that for weeks, that game. Yeah, I saw it coming. And like within the first 15 minutes, and bearing in mind, I never think like this. I'm always optimistic with these games. In the first 15 minutes, I told myself, yeah, not going to win here. Not going to win here. It just looked, it seemed like we had no answer for Brighton. Bearing in mind, they were like, well, uh, no more pay, Lewis Dunk, and still we just couldn't get the better of him. And uh, forgive me if I, if I pronounce his name wrong, is it Basuma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The job he was doing on Lingard in the early Very stages good. of the game. Yeah. It just it just seemed difficult. I know we were trying to thread a few passes forward to Antonio, wasn't having much luck at all. So just a match I felt, looking back now, obviously a good point in terms of Ben Rama scoring the equaliser, but it's a game where... Thought we should have won in terms of you know Brighton being about a number of um, a number of important players, but for whatever reason we just can't win a game against Brighton. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean, you can't win a game against Brighton. So I feel like the next two games now are so important in terms of winning the West Brom and Southampton game. Win that and that's Europa League sorted in my opinion. So yeah. I can't afford to like mess about in the next two games. What what's your thoughts on the Brighton game? Yeah, I I thought I I know what you mean. What we did was we lacked that zip that we'd shown against Burnley. Yeah. Um, against Burnley. And I thought, well, this is a similar quality of side that we're facing. And we had a real zip the way that we attacked them. We swarmed them at times and we were managing to find a lot of space against them. Now, maybe they just got their tactics wrong against us. Maybe, as a lot of people have been saying, that this sort of um, a big slowdown in our form, because that Burnley game is the only one where we've really performed in half a dozen matches now. Therefore, if we do finish seventh or eighth, at the end of the day, my attitude is I'm philosophical. The table doesn't lie. 
you know, the way the reason we're up where we are is because of form earlier in the season, but you need to be able to sustain that. And we're not yet at that stage where we are able to sustain that level of performance right to the bitter end. The question is, have we faded because our players have begun to get tired because of the way we play and because we have a small squad? Or is it that the opposition have begun to work us out? Because that happens. You know, I think when Lingard came in, we might have slowed down. But the introduction of Lingard at the start of the year gave us a, a new dimension. And so just as coaches might, opposition coaches might have been working us out, you know, by the turn of the year, suddenly we threw something else into the mix, a bit of an X factor into the mix. Then there was a few months where we were unplayable for a certain amount of time. Now it's like, you know, if you look at the games against Newcastle, Chelsea, Everton, and now Brighton, you know, you you can look at that and go, well, yeah, coaches are setting up really well against us and they're nullifying us. You know, they're, they're finding ways to score goals against us, but they're also finding ways of shutting down our attack. Mm. Um, which, yeah, Brighton really did that effectively. Ben Rama's goal was great, but it was one of those goals where you couldn't say, well, we undid them. Mm. You know, we undid them there. They were defending very well and he just popped one in and it's kind of hard to legislate yeah. against that kind of a finish. So I don't know. I think maybe it could be that, Managers of opposition teams have just in those in the last crucial quarter of the season have thought right. You got. To, I don't know. I mean, you know, I can't see precisely what they're doing, but I know I can see that they're they're making teams are, are treating us with more respect in defence. They're you know they're swamping Antonio, and they kind of think if we can swamp Antonio and also nullify, put someone on Lingard and nullify him, then we've got half a chance of stopping them. Yeah. Um, I don't know, what do you think? Is it that or tiredness or just I, a combination of two? David Moyes will never like look for excuses and I, I imagine he'll never say this on the record. So I'll say it on his behalf. I actually think it's down to tiredness, Sam. I mm. really do. By and large, it's the same team that plays week in, week out. I mean, what, two weeks ago, I think it was when we saw Man City face Chelsea and he made, what, nine changes few days after that, we saw Man United face Liverpool and they made, what, I think, eight changes, if I'm not mistaken. West Ham can't ultimately make that many changes. We yeah. can't afford to make two changes, let alone nine. And as I touched on, it's the same team that plays week in, week out. And I feel like right now, the players have sort of lost their steam. Yeah. So you touched at the Burnley game, right? I thought that game, I know we created a lot of chances, but I thought that game was great in terms of the intensity we showed. Just great in terms of closing down uh, Burnley. But we didn't see that against Everton. I thought a little bit, poor and sloppy against Everton. Did it see it again against Brighton. And I really think the players just, just knackered now, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> They're knackered. Like, for now, for example, he had, what, like, three ch good chances to score. Didn't pull them away. Antonio had a, one good chance and went over the bar. I, I really think the players are losing their steam now, Sam. What's your response to that? Yeah, I think that the way we play is, is very intense. And earlier in the season, when we were getting a lot of clean sheets for a while, seems like a long time ago now, it, it, I just felt we were so hard to play against because we were all over the opposition when they were in possession. And now, I think at this level, to use a cliche, at this level, you can lose just 1% and it makes a hell of a lot of difference. And I feel that we've lost that 1% both in position, in possession and out of possession because there were still nice moments against Brighton of attack. 
but you need that final killer bit of energy sometimes or creativity, right? Or extra half yard from Antonio or whoever it is. And some of them are just missing that tiny extra little bit. And also, like say, out of possession. Suchek, I think, is a great example. He's been one of a number of incredible players this season. But last few weeks, I think that he's just lacked something in 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 uh, in terms of both closing players down. But also, we're not seeing those late runs into the box. Now, we thought that might have been because of the absence of Rice. We thought, ah, oh, maybe he's not got the confidence or maybe, you know, because he doesn't know Declan's behind him or maybe Moyes is actually instructing him not to make those runs. But against Brighton, we still didn't see him. I mean, there's games this season that he has got us out of jail. If you look at Everton away where we nicked that one nil, that had nil nil written all over it. You know, we all thought that was uh, done and dusted, but he he popped up. And there's a couple of other games where he's popped up and salvaged a point or sometimes earned us three. Just by being quite late in the game, that player who's making, you know, a lung-busting run into the area and getting that little touch just at the last. So, yeah. And then, you know, you look at players like Dawson. Dawson's confidence was flying for the first couple of months he was in the team. And every time a cross went into him, he was finishing it. And, you know, he had a great he had a great chance against Brighton that he didn't bury. And there's been a couple of those recently. So everyone's just no one's turned to shit, but there's everyone's lost maybe one or two percent. And so, yeah, I do think tiredness is a big factor. But I also think that perhaps managers, you look at the, the Everton and Chelsea games and the way in which teams have set up against us. They're showing us a lot more respect, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And we are struggling at times to break down. That's why I would say against West Brom, we need to start with Ben Rama because Ben Rama has had his best games against the teams who are below us towards the bottom of the table, where sometimes there's a little bit more space. You need a player like him because, you know, if they're really parking the bus, you need someone who might be able to unlock them with a trick. Um, or, you know, a shot from range like the one he scored with. And I think if you look at the Burnley game, everyone thought of him as the man in the match in that game. He was absolutely superb. And the way we attacked Burnley meant that they could they could put a man on Lingard if they wanted. But then yeah. they've got Ben Rama to worry about, you know. And, and that's the reason why I think you're right. Fournau's another hero this season. Amazing performance. Uh, all through the season, in all these different positions. He's he's scored important goals. He's proved himself to be, you know, a real workhorse as well as the sort of attacking and technical talent he has. Fantastic. But because of the way he plays, you're right. He looks knackered. I would say against West Brom, we know what Big Sam will be trying to do. He'll be relishing the idea of denying us a place in Europe, you know, <laughs> and we know that he'll they'll be setting up in a way to defend and kind of do a smash and grab on us. And they've got every chance of doing that. Let's be fair. You know, this is a game that I can, not, not to be pessimistic, I could easily see West Brom coming away with a 1-0 win from this game. But we have got to approach it like we did against Burnley. And that means we've got to fly at them, fly out of the blocks. And for me, I would start with Ben Rama, Lingard, Bowen and Antonio. Because I think, you know, Play, they are teams are starting to try and man mark and shut down Lingard, and Lingard's having to come deeper and deeper as a result to get get on the ball. He's sometimes yep. picking the ball up from our back four, yep. and uh, and I just think that 
it's a smart idea to let them do that. They can't do it. They can't put a, a man to the same degree on Ben Rama as well. So let's have all of them. Let's give them more to worry about, you know, and know that with Declan back in the team and Ogbonna and Cresswell, we've got such reliable defenders that, especially against a team like West Brom, who we know a lot of their attacking efforts are going to come in a sort of quite direct way. And you've got people like Dawson and Declan and Ogbonna at the back. I don't think we've got to worry too much about that. I think I think I would say absolutely bombard West Brom from the first minute of the game, from the first kick of the game, because if they get into half time and it's nil nil, they will. Big Sam will love that because again, West Ham's players, just like against Brighton and against Everton, they'll start to get nervous because they'll start to think of what's at stake. They'll start thinking, "Oh, we're going to blow the whole season here." And once you start letting thoughts like that get into your head, then you're not going to play your natural game. And that's but that's been another one of our problems over the recent weeks. I think, understandably, they've been thinking about it too much. Yeah. Whereas there was a certain freedom to the way we played earlier in the season, where we had nothing to lose. And when Lingard first came into the team, the way with which he was playing, we said, you know, he, he was playing like a kid in the playground. You know, he was like, I think I, the phrase I used on a previous episode was he was taking the piss, which he was for a while. Now there seems to be. We're just playing with a little bit more tension about us. And I, if I was Moyes, I'd be saying, forget all that, lads. Don't worry about them scoring against us. Declan's got that covered. Declan, you sit back and make sure they don't score. The rest of you do everything that is needed to score yeah. goals against this team right from the start. That's the only way we're going to do it. And we've, got, and we've got to do the same against Southampton. And I think you're right. If we win them both, then we've got every chance of, of getting into the Europa League. If we don't, Getting to Europa League, continuing in the tradition of this podcast, I believe being one of the most philosophical West Ham podcasts out there, you've got to think to yourself, do you know what? It's been a good season and the table doesn't lie. If we finish seventh, it's not unfair. If we finished eighth, it's not unfair. None of it will be unfair because, yeah, we played well. That's why we're up there now. But if we don't finish off, if we if we start losing the majority of our games in the last six or seven matches, then we don't deserve to finish in Europe. Do you know what I mean? It's just the way it goes. And, and we'll look at it and think, well, it's a huge, huge, huge achievement by David Moyes to have got us so far up the table in comparison to where we finished last year, no matter what. This, you know, we were, the conclusion we will draw is, well, the squad wasn't big enough. Here's a question for you, though. How do you feel now on reflection about us not signing a replacement for Haller back at the, in January? And if we had, even if it had just been, you know, uh, someone to be on the bench and come on, do you think that we would now be in a position to qualify for the Champions League? Really good question, Sam. Uh, uh, at the time, my argument was, I'm not saying West Ham should blow like, the bank on a striker, but get someone in on loan, like mm. a Charlie Austin or... To someone like that, who knows they're not going to play like every minute of, of, of the league fixture, but last 20 minutes, 15 minutes, you can bring them on to have an impact. Right now, we're sort of relying on Mipo or Debeko to, to come. Well, he hasn't even played since the um, United defeat in the FA Cup. But someone like him to, to come on for Antonio. So I reckon Sina Stryker alone would have been the answer. Obviously, Moyes didn't do it again. But I can see why he didn't do it. Cause I'm thinking Moyes thinking towards the summer. That's what I was told. Mm. He's thinking more mm. towards the summer. Bringing, like, we've seen West Ham being linked to, like, Tammy Abraham, you know, uh, uh, Abdullah Simar, the Slavia Prague youngster. So I can yeah. see why Moyes would have been like, you know what, summertime, 
I'll get the right person. I'm not, I'm not going to sign someone in January who could potentially ruin the morale. I can see why he's thinking what high that was. But my thing is, I would like to see Meepo get more of a chance. Yeah. He's 18. He's been like, absolutely killing it for the under 23s. Um, like, really bounced back from that I game. Mean, he, he, won, he won player of the month in the... um. In whatever that league's called, yeah. the under twenty three league, <laughs> yeah, under twenty three league. But you yeah. know what? One game I like. You know what? He's got good character, and I've yeah. said that about a few of the young players, like Ben Johnson, for example. I know I mentioned it a lot of time now, but that preseason game against Bournemouth right, it was terrible. Bounced back from that. Yeah. Uh, it was under twenty three games at Man United, and Meepo scored a hat trick. And I thought, yeah, he's got good character because he could easily felt sorry for himself after that Man United game. He could have been like, oh, I was terrible. Uh, that's my chance gone. I've been told, listen, when the players are having lunch, he's out there practicing and shooting. Like, he's that dedicated. So, I'd like to see him get a chance and not say he should start, but last 15, 20, 10 minutes, just bring him on, see what he can do. So, listen, hopefully next two games we'll see that. But I, I would like to see the striker brought in on loan during January. But I want to actually touch on your earlier point some about overthinking things because it's actually a great point. And for now, definitely comes to mind. I forgot which podcast it was, but we're all like... <laughs> Whenever Ryan Phillips gets the ball, he's like, oh, shit, what am I going to do with the ball? What am I going <laughs> yeah, to do with yeah, the ball? Yeah. And I feel like that's the case of Fournals when it comes to shooting. Yeah. This guy's called three league goals this season, Sam. Listen, if Fournals was more clinical, he would easily be our top scorer. Easily yeah. be our top scorer or, or approaching double figures. Because he, he's getting into the positions, isn't he? Yeah. He gets into positions, but it's like the ball comes to him, he's thinking, oh, shit, like, what do I do yeah. now? Do I, you know, I'd like, if he had more self-belief, oh, my, what a play. Like, we all love his work rate. Tremendous work rate. You love to have 11 4 hours in your team, but just offensively, that's the one area of this game we really need to work on. I love to, I love to, the, the good, the positive of what you're saying, and I agree with it, is that when you look at players like him and Ben Rama, who, funnily enough, are often, a lot of West Ham fans sort of compare them because they often seem to be competing for the same position inside, although they're very different players. But both of them are young, and both of them, have got so much potential. And the fact that they're that the flaws in their game are so apparent to all of us, in some ways that's a good thing. Because you think if this was an older, jaded player, you know, or a player who just didn't give you the impression that they were willing to improve in a very like we we all knew what the problem with Sebastian Hilaire was. And there was just something about him that made us think, this lad. He's just not interested in changing his game. <laughs> I just got impression with him that David Moyes and the rest of the coaching staff must have been telling him in every training session, this is what you got to do. They say you got to put yourself about a bit more and all the rest of it. And he was like, yeah, boss. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was obvious from his performance. Yeah. Whereas these these boys, you know, Four Nails and Ben Rama, you know that these players are going to places, in my opinion, whether that's at West Ham or elsewhere, I don't know. But I think both of these players are going to go places. I think they're going to be serious Premier League players, right? And But it's so obvious. You think, okay, his, his four nails has got everything. He's got tremendous work rate, which was the surprise because when he came from Spain, we thought he was going to be a tricky little number 10. I thought he was a replacement for Lanzini, right? And um, and actually, he surprised us all by, by being bloody James Milner, really. Do you know what I mean? Like a, a player who'd play in any position, work very hard, but also had technical ability to back all of that up. So you knew when he got the ball, he wasn't going to give it away, right? So, yeah, quite a good comparison that. I think he's the Spanish James Milner. But um, uh, so, but we know that, like, shooting, finishing his chances is the thing that he can work on. And you know that can be worked on. 
You can see them working on that in training with him over summer. You can see him improving on that once he once he gets that monkey off his back of thinking, I haven't scored enough, I haven't scored enough. They'll start going because he'll start shooting more naturally. It's very similar with Ben Rama. Ben Rama, I think, works harder than people give him credit for off the ball. Um, I think he's fantastic when he's on the ball and has got a bit of space. But we all know that he's got to make a better decision with his final ball or shooting. He often shoots when he should pass. And similarly, he sometimes passes when he should shoot, you know. Um, so it's both. It's clear what they need to work on. I quite like that because you think these are both players who've done decent performances this season. I'd probably, I'd probably give four nails a seven or eight out of ten, and Ben Rama a seven out of ten. I would say, and I think they're both going to go up a point next season. You know, just by carrying on working hard. So I'm excited by that. But for me. I would give four nails a rest in the next game. I think these are two games that drawing's pointless. We just need to win both games. Four nails, really, when you're looking at a choice between those two, you know four nails is going to give you more security when you're out of position. You know, but you know Ben Rama's going to give you much more threat going forward. Ben Rama's come on. He's nearly got a great assist because he crossed the ball straight onto the head of Dawson. And that was only Dawson's fault he didn't get that assist. And then he scored a peach of a goal. You've got to pick him. And I don't think he should drop Bowen because I think that, you know, you need all of those attacking threats on the pitch at once. Yeah. Get a couple of goals, then bring four nails on. That's what I'd say and tighten things up. Uh, you know what? Just on Ben Rama, right? So I was on the train heading towards Brian. And I, I just want to add, my trip to Brian cost eight quid. Absolute bargain. Wow. Absolute bargain, sir. Eight Listen, pound on the train. Eight pound on the train to go to Brighton. Can you imagine? From Clapham Junction. No, from uh, Victoria. No, from Saint Pancras. Oh, from Saint Pancras. I didn't. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. that. That's the. Is that the super fast train? Uh, super fast. Okay. It's all right. It's like yeah, an hour. Right. It's an hour. But it goes yeah. past Gatwick that way. But I mean, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Absolute yeah. bargain, Sam. Absolute bargain. So listen. Eight listen. quid for a day out in Brighton. Bloody hell. Not, I might when... go there today. <laughs> 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 listen, listen. When it's hot again, guys, go to Brighton. Absolute bargain. Yeah. So I was on my way to Brighton, right? I was hearing, like, over here in a few Brighton fans. They're like, listen, I hope Ben Rama doesn't start. I hope Ben Rama doesn't start. I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So then. Obviously, I'm doing my little tourist tourist whole thing in Brighton, and get, I'm getting my getting my donuts. I'm getting my hot dogs. Yeah. I'm on did the pier. Go, did, mate, did you get on the coins on the pier? You know what? I didn't. Oh, I didn't. Big, mis- I know. big mistake. Big mistake. But go back and devote a whole day to coining. That's what I yeah. do. <laughs> For anyway, sure. go on. Yeah, and I heard like more Brighton fans say, "Listen, I hope Ben Rama doesn't start." I'm thinking, wow, like. It must be Ben Rama day here in Brian. Everyone's talking about Ben Rama. So, yeah, my point to say about it is he came on, obviously scored the equalizer and goal. And as, you, and as you said, I'd love it for him to start against West Brom. We, we keep saying, you know, when Ben Rama has an assist, oh, now you'll push on, now you'll push on. But I really believe him scoring that goal, well, we'll let him push on now. I know there's two games left, but I still think you'll have an important role in, in terms of us finishing. In I think six. you and I have both said, and I've heard other fans saying as well, that everyone's had this feeling Ben Rama will play a crucial role in the end of this season, right? And he sort of has, because if we'd not got that point against Brighton, we'd be really losing hope now. Then with Everton losing to Sheffield United, suddenly we've got a bit of hope again. And I think, yeah, I think, I hope you're right. I think he needs to be picked for both of these final games. I don't think he looks knackered, whereas a lot of other players do, because he hasn't had as much game time as the other players. You know, I think he's a threat. I think Lingard's faded a bit. 
mainly partly because people are trying to do a job on him, right? And I think I wouldn't drop Lingard, but I absolutely think you need Ben Rama to supplement Lingard's threat. And uh, yeah, I, f- I feel I-, I make you right, mate. I think he's been so close with assists that haven't quite come off and goals. And now I think that 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 might be off his back, and he might be about to unleash something. And and we know his his performances against these sides who are below us in the table are always better. What he needs to improve on is being able to start games against people like Chelsea or Liverpool or Man U, right, and be able to make a difference in those games because. He, in those sorts of matches, he hasn't made an impact yet. I don't know whether that's just because he's playing against... I guess he's just playing against a better quality of defender. I don't know. But but that's what he needs to do. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, listeners. Sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favor to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. What about the striker situation in the summer? Lots of stuff flying around on social media. A lot of people saying that we won't have the money to pursue uh, Tony from Brentford or any other, or, or what's his name from Seville. Um, possibly we, and, and the only way we're likely to get Abrams is on loan. Linked more heavily again with the, the lad you mentioned before from Prague. Is it Slavia or Sparta Prague? I always forget. Uh, Slavia Prague. Well, there's no yeah. one from Sparta Prague. Adam Holsek. Yeah, yeah. But he's not the one, right? It's the one from Slavia Prague. Well, they're, 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 both, they're both been linked. Both linked. linked yeah. yeah, both been linked. So, you know, um, and, and so there's, I don't know what that situation is. It feels like we don't have much money. Also, big rumour about uh, Marco Anatovic coming back, particularly off the back of, I don't know if you heard Nobes' uh, chat on the Peter yeah. Crouch podcast. Yeah. So I don't know, what do you know about so, that and, and what are your so, feelings on that? So last week, right before the Brighton game, I actually asked Moist about Marco Anatovic because I listened to that podcast from Mark Noble and Peter Crouch, great podcast. And yeah, so that's David, listen, Mark spoke well about Marco being a good teammate and he's had to see him leave. It sees someone who's on your, who's on your like on your target for this summer. So in my mind, I'm thinking he's gonna shut it down. He's not gonna say yes, he's not gonna say no. He's gonna be give me a short answer yeah, and I got yeah, a yeah. one. And to my surprise, Sam, he gave you me a chance. Like, you were chancing your arm. You thought, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, you thought I'll chuck it in there. I'll chuck it in there. I'm not expecting much back. <laughs> yeah. But let's just see where it goes. You yeah, never let's know. Just, yeah, yeah. Let's just see where it goes. And yeah. to my surprise, Sam, he gave me a really good response. So he loved working with Marco. 
he said he enjoyed the aspect of Mark, managing someone like Marco who was a bit of a different personality. Obviously, with a, few ch- a few challenges, but, you know, Marco awarded them in terms of scoring goals. And ultimately, he wouldn't rule it out. He wants to build a new team, a new West Ham, but he wouldn't rule it out. And that was the key line from that question. He wouldn't rule it out. And then my, my follow-up to that was, listen, we've heard that he's sort of like a bad character behind the scenes. Is that true? Again, he said that's not true. Downplay that completely. You know, got on well with him. And he's looking forward to seeing him in the Euros. So, yeah. and then, before I asked him about Marco, in fact, I asked him, like, if he's confident West Ham have money to spend this summer. And he said West Ham, to what he knows, have a bit of money to spend. Yeah. Like, he didn't give a figure in it, but it sounds promising in the fact that it's a bit of a money. It's a bit of money than Moyes saying, no, I don't think we'll have money to spend. Listen, Moyes is very honest. If he has yeah. no money to spend, he'll, he'll say he'll he's say, no money yeah. to spend. So, that's a bit encouraging. I, I, I think, listen, I think that we went through this last week. I don't, I don't want to feel like we've got 100 million to spend. Why would we? Why would we suddenly have 100 million? The other clubs don't. Um, I think this, I think our squad is very good. Certainly our team is very good. Uh, We need to, you know, maybe build the squad, maybe only need one or two additions to the first team, in all honesty. You know, I would like to see us make more of an effort to bring some youth players into the first team mix, Meepo, commentary, all the other great players you've been writing about and telling us about all season. And um, and then maybe, you know, just one or two sort of name signings. Of course, a lot of it will depend, I think, on who leaves the club. There's still going to be a chart. There's obviously a chance of Declan Rice leaving. There always is. If we get 100 million for him, then I suppose that will make a big difference to the sort of strikers we're looking at. Because, um, yeah, we'd have to sign a replacement. Although with the performances we've seen from Pablo Fornells in central midfield and Lanzini, you might say, OK, all right, if Rice has got to go, heaven forbid, I don't want him to go, of course, but let's be real. It's a, I would say it's a 50-50 chance going into this summer, right? You might disagree, but... It, it, it really is out of our hands. It's about whether or, whether or not City or United want to come in and stump up the money because if they do, it'll be hard for the owners and for the player to turn it down. So really, ultimately, it is in the hands of the bosses over at Manchester United. In my opinion, I think that's the most likely destination for Declan Rice, unless he has such a great Euros that foreign clubs start looking as well. So if they come in by 100 million, or they say he's 80 million and we'll chuck Lingard in. It might be that we go, okay, listen, we can bring Coventry through. We can start four nows next to Suchek in midfield, you know, different sort of a midfield, but one that we know can work. And we can spend a large sum of that money on getting a top striker. I'd actually rather see that. I don't know. There's no point getting 100 million for Rice and then spending most of that on another central midfielder who, let's be honest, is not going to be anywhere near as good as Rice. You can't sign someone to replace Rice. So what you've almost got to do is change the emphasis of the side and go, OK, well, we'll slot four nails in there, but we'll go and buy Tammy Abrams, which means that all the chances that we're creating are going to get finished. Mm. You know what, sir? In terms of what I'm hearing regarding Declan Rice's future, between Man United and Man City, it seems like Man City will have a lot of money to spend this summer. And obviously, we still don't know yet regarding the future of Fernandinho. Mm. If he does leave, it seems like they'll make a push for Declan Rice. It seems likely that Man United will move on from Fred this summer and they'll look at someone like a Declan Rice. So if you, I reckon yeah. it's between, well, it's between both two clubs this yeah. summer for Rice. 
But it, it, I want, I want to hear your follow up to this, to this, uh, to spot response, Sam. My priority this summer for West Ham: sign a striker, sign a goalkeeper to challenge Fabianski. I know Lanzini played well against Burnley, but also sign a central midfielder. What, 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 what's your, what's your single priority this summer? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say a young keeper. I don't think we necessarily need to go and get someone who's. I think you need to really what I think is you need someone better than De, than than Darren Randolph as the number two. You need someone who's not maybe as good as Fabianski right now, but could be in two seasons, maybe working under learning from Fabianski for a couple of years, and then Fabianski will naturally get to a stage where he, you know will probably want to move on or be happy to take a step back. I think centre back is is you know as you've said before, we probably I would be looking at. Potentially, if we got a decent offer for Diop, taking that money and using it to sign maybe someone with Premier League experience, maybe like a, a dunk, you know, um, or or a, or a me from Burnley, someone who's been there and done it in the in the Premier League, but maybe is a bit quicker than what we've got at the moment. And uh, but really, for me, it's a striker. So centre mid, yeah, kind of. I think that, but. I think if Rice stays, no, because now I'm like, I'd like to see Connor Coventry get more game time and I would like to see Lanzini and Fournals be the be the options in centre mid if either Suchek or Rice get injured. I'm happy with that. If Rice gets injured, obviously we'd have to sign someone. But again, I'd be tempted to start Fournals in, in like make Fournals the replacement for Rice. Not, I'm not comparing them as players. They've got very different styles, but I think it could, a central midfield with Fournals in it could work. And then... Maybe go out and sign someone with potential. I mean, the lad you mentioned who who did a job on Lingard for Brighton at the weekend. I thought that was. I thought I was looking at him, thinking, "Well, this is the sort of player we could do in yeah. our team." You know, yeah. he was really good. He was really good. But you know what, Sam? There's one name we haven't mentioned at all this year. Philippe Anderson. Yeah. Philippe yeah. Anderson. Well, I've heard some people say maybe we should give him another go. I even heard some people. Say, oh, you know, well, Ben Rama is a maverick on his, who can win games on his day, but other days goes missing. Well, I know, in fact, someone said it about Lingard. Someone compared Lingard to Felipe Anson. Well, I was so outraged, I almost wrote to my MP, mate. <laughs> I thought, come on. I thought, come on, Lingard has come in and transformed our season. All right, he's not been at quite at those heady heights for the last few games. But what an impact. I mean, I stand, but we can't you can't just change your mind after two average performances. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, 
we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13. And when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas, and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level, and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although Striker A squandered a gilt-edge chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to football cliches wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic. I know I'm moving off topic here, but I got this tweet right. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name, but I think he works for Daz, the boxing show in America, the boxing network right. in America. Yeah. And he really wanted us to very quickly discuss that, um, that relegation piece. Now, I just want to say, Patricia Joe, I'm sorry if we go over here. <laughs> I'm sorry if we go over here and we talk about this, but yeah. this guy was like, this great piece... Can you talk about it briefly, right? So I got the idea last week, Monday, to because um, you just this is how it works. Sam. I think to myself, what am I going to write about this week? So when I look to think, is there you got the best, you got the best job, mate. You come yeah, into work, you job. just sit there, and you think, what can I write about West Ham this week? What, what can I write about West Ham this week? So I'm looking, and there must be an anniversary coming up. It's made, must be an anniversary coming up. Mm. So I looked back on previous seasons, I was like, oh wow, like Saturday will be ten years since that Wigan match where it confirmed relegated to the championship. So I thought, uh, I think, you know, this is great. I have something I can, I can write, it'll be really good. But I think, oh, shit, I left it late. Mm. But I thought, you know what? Let me just summon the phones, phone people. Mm. I spoke to two people who show a name anonymous. <laughs> they show a name anonymous, but I got Rob Green, right? And when I spoke to Rob Green, I spoke to him for about an hour. Oh, and very briefly, Rob was a fan of the podcast. He told me he listens to it. He enjoys it. He says whenever he's going to cover a West Ham game, you make sure this is podcast to find out who's informed, who's not informed. So a shout out to you, Rob Green. Shout out, Rob. Thanks for listening. So thanks spoke, for the memories, Rob. Yeah, thanks for the memories, pal. So spoke to him, right? Oh, Rob, absolutely amazing, mate. Absolutely amazing. Like I was like, Rob, what happened before this one new win over Tottenham? Oh yeah, I remember this. Spoke to uh, spoke to that person. Spoke to my wife. My wife said, "Who do you have?" She was like, "I told her Tottenham." She said, "Oh shit." <laughs> Are you confident? Yeah. And he's like, I told her we're gonna have we're gonna win one nil. I'm, I'm gonna win one of the match, and it happened. So I was like, Rob, what happened before this one of the feet against Arsenal? Oh, this happened. I think yeah, blood. This guy's got great memory. So mm. that was basically the, the theme of the chat, Sam. And that's yeah. what I say. Thank you to all of us who enjoyed the piece. I enjoyed writing it. And yeah. It was a great piece. I really enjoyed reading it, mate. Um, and my favourite bit was actually Rob Green saying that he <laughs> said to his missus, "We're gonna win, and I'm gonna be man the match." And then it turned out to be true. And I remember that victory because it was just in, like, it was so out of context with the rest of the season. I remember that season vividly. It was really tough to be a West Ham fan that year. You know, the owners were in, were in their first full season. They let Zola go way too soon, uh, you know, if, if you ask me, because he'd shown such enormous 
potential as a coach. And then it it ta- it guided us through one of the toughest periods in our history, because you know suddenly the the money had fallen out, the club we were in crisis. We might have to have gone into administration. We were in administration for a short while. And it's like, you know, Zola kept a smile on his face, kept the players playing. They got rid of him and then they replaced him with Avram Grant. And no one felt inspired by the appointment of Avram Grant. But I remember, because I always try to stay positive and look on the bright side as as much as I can, I remember thinking, well, at least Avram Grant's got experience. And sometimes experience counts. And and funnily enough, around that time, I think Roy Hodgson had, had not that long ago had a lot of success with Fulham. And there was a couple of other managers, older managers doing well. And I sort of, you know, Ferguson was still in charge at United and Wenger was still at Arsenal. And there was a a lot of successful managers in the Premier League at that stage were guys with wrinkly faces, right? (laughs) So my theory at the time was maybe experience is what really matters, right? So you just instinctively know what to do. You've seen it all and done it all before. So you just know what to do when the going gets tough. And that was my only theory that I was clinging to. But very quickly, very quickly, it was apparent. As you wrote in your piece, it was even more apparent to the players because those players saying that from the first friendlies of pre-season, even though we were winning, they were like, something's wrong here. And it, it appeared to be because he wasn't paying any attention. He was not on the training pitch. He was late to training. He was. They were left completely baffled as to what formation they were playing. They didn't know what the instructions were. You know, and and what I was thinking as I read your piece was I was constantly comparing it to the impression I've got of the David Moyes regime and how it's you just see David Moyes and the way he stands on the touchline, the way that he he, he seems to be so hands on and have such attention to detail. But without being an arsehole that the players are scared of or don't like, they seem to like him, have affection for him. But this is a bloke who, you know, has never been late for anything in his life. He is a man of precision. And efficiency, and Avram Grant was not. You should have interviewed me for that piece because I could oh, yeah. have told you halfway through, as I I might have mentioned it last week, but I'll mention it again because it's worth mentioning. I was at an Elton John gig. I saw Avram Grant. He was sat on his own. Obviously, mate, I was in the VIP area where there was a lot of celebs, right? Because obviously, yeah. <laughs> so I so I go. There's Avram Grant, and I climb down the seat because he sat all on his own. And I go, all right, Avram. And he's like, I could see him thinking a little bit, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm only here. I'm only here to listen to him doing Rocket Man and <laughs> Crocodile Rock. Then I want to go home for a massage, right? <laughs> and uh, and it, but I said to him, I'm a West Ham fan. I'm, I'm a season ticket holder. And more or less said words to the effect of, and I want to engage you in conversation about West Ham. <laughs> and he was, he was kind of all right. But... You know, I remember saying, because we had two lads up front, I think it was Victor Abina, I think it was Abina, and it was, there was Freddie Piccion. And Piccion, he'd signed from Portsmouth, which is where he'd been the season before, and they got relegated. And he was, I remember he was, I was going on about Abina, and he only wanted to talk about Piccion and what a great signing he was. And I thought at the time, this is a bit weird. You keep going on about Piccion, who's not put, pulled up any trees yet. I think it's because he's your man who you brought with you from Portsmouth. So I was a bit worried then because I thought he's really clinging to the idea that Freddie Piccion, who's a bang average striker, is going to be the saviour of West Ham United this season. Um, 
It was, a, yeah, it was a disastrous start to the Sullivan and Gold era, that sacking Zola. I don't know, maybe we would have gone down under Zola too, because we'd only narrowly avoided relegation under him the year before. But what you had in Zola was a, a young, very organised, very enthusiastic and optimistic coach with a lot of innovative ideas who the players loved. And he was supported by Steve Clark, who everyone knew was one of the most experienced and toughest coaches in the league. So he brought the experience to the party. And I thought we were really onto something there. And um, that, that for me was, was the big was the big mistake that was made that season. It was made that summer. And they sacked poor old Zola on the day, uh, on the last day of the season. They went straight in and sacked him, which was the first indication to a lot of us fans that this was a, a you know, a club ownership that maybe lacked a bit of grace and class. <laughs> well, look, everything back to the, to the January or 2011, right? Trying to get Martin O'Neill when Aaron Grant was still in, <laughs> still yeah. in the job. And yeah. then obviously it leaked that trying to appoint him. So and Martin's like, why on earth am I coming to West Ham where they're trying I to know. get me when their manager's still in charge? Like, what, what would I do that for? Yeah. Bearing in mind, the club are in a precarious league right now. Like, if I weigh up the win-lose scenario, I have more to lose than win. So, you know, I've, I've, I met Martin O'Neill a couple of years ago and I asked him about that incident. And and he said, obviously, as, as you confirmed in peace, he said, yeah, I was all lined up to come. But, I mean, Martin O'Neill's a top bloke and a man of real principle. So it just was, he said it wasn't even a tough decision. The moment I saw the story leak, I just thought, no way, it's over. Uh, but I asked him why he was interested in the first place. And and he was, uh, you know, he, he was really genuine. He didn't have to say it because he's never got any intention of coming back to West Ham. But he said, I've, I'd always liked West Ham. I'd always liked them because they're a club with real character and tradition. And they're a real people's club. He went and there was a romance about them. And he talked about, you know, obviously more of Brooklyn and Bonds and, and all that and McAvenny and all these players. And he said, I, I always just, that those are the clubs I like. He said, you know, it's what, what I liked Villa, I liked Sunderland. He said, I like these these clubs that have sort of a bit of a feel and a story and a history and and that sort of people's game spirit about them. So it was a real shame because he spoke so positively about the club and his reasons for why he wanted to join. And then they blew it. But who knows what would have happened? You know, we went down, Allardyce came in and did a, you know, let's get it right, a fantastic job. A really and a very tough job to bring us straight back up and then establish us in the Premier League. So, you know, I was glad actually when when Allardyce left, but I don't think we should forget his legacy because we were in a right old two and eight when he took over after Allardyce, after that season, and he did a, he, he he did incredibly to just get us back up by any means necessary, really. And so. Um, so who knows, maybe the club needed, sometimes clubs need a relegation to sort of reset a little bit. But I tell you what, if we'd kept Zola or we'd followed through and managed to get O'Neill when we went for him, things would have been very different. Things would have turned out better. Anyway, yeah. mate, what season are you going to do next? Because I love your I know. Backs. I know, I know. I've been asked this a lot. I'm not sure, pal. I'm not sure. I really... I... I'm not listening to if you haven't seen the particular, you want me to uh, look back on for you to get in touch. But right, I'll, right, I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll chuck one. I mean, I can bore you with all sorts of different seasons <laughs> that I would like, but I, I, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll chuck one in that might be relevant soon. Okay. Yeah. We are the, the highest position we've ever finished in the league, in the Premier League, is fifth, right? Which was in the late 90s with Harry Redknapp. Was it 97, maybe? Something like, like that. I think 98, 99. 98, 99, right? I remember that year. I went to all the games. 
Um, we had a great side. I, th- I think that would have been the year that Decanio came in halfway through the season. So we would have sold Hartson halfway through, I think. Um, I think Berkovic would have still been in the team at that stage. Trevor Sinclair was certainly a big part of the team. And of course, you had people like Lampard coming through. I just think this is the first time in the Premier League era that we've had a side compared to that. And it might be. And, and interesting lads in that in that setup as well. Good blokes to talk to, you know, with your contacts. The likes of Trevor Sinclair, I believe. Can't remember who was in goal. Maybe it was Shaka in goal. Yep. Um, uh, and then you've got Lampard, Joe Cole. You know, that that would be what West Ham it doesn't get talked about because what gets talked about when people look back on high league positions is, of course, the boys of 86. But that was a whole different era. And that story, to be fair, I love all of those guys. And I've got great memories. That That's a story that's been done a lot. But the season we finished fifth and could have finished a lot higher, that was an exceptional team full of basically what became the core of the England team for the next 10 years, plus a sprinkling of veterans, Stuart Pearce, Neil Ruddock, and those Ian Wright, I think, unless I've got my years muddled up, I think there was a, sp- a sprinkling of England veterans, a core of players who would go on to be England veterans, and then just some maverick loonies thrown in, like, <laughs> yeah. Paolo, like Paolo Di Canio and Frederick Canute. There's a story there, mate, but, you know, it's up to you. But that's my, that's my first suggestion. I'm sure there'll be others from the listeners. To be fair, that's a good shout because, as we all know, the Euros are coming up. There's a lot of West Ham fans who couldn't care less about watching England, really. So nah. I think that would be a good time to, you know, put it in there. When West Ham were England, really. Yeah. yeah. We, had a, we had England veterans and England future, and we combined it all into one side under Harry Redknapp. I mean, really, it sounds like a reality show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Listeners, yeah. feel free to get in touch and let me know it's easy to look back on. But as I said already, like, thank you so much for the nice feedback for that piece because I've got lovely DMs. So thank yeah. you. Definitely appreciate it. It was a really great piece. Right. OK, well, keep an eye out. Um, do you know what we can look forward to this week or are you not sorted that so, yet? So obviously match piece tomorrow for the West Brom game. I'm not sure. I'm working in the background on Ben Rama, but I'm not sure it'll be for this week, potentially next week. So Right, right. So, so yeah, I'm not sure okay. what piece will be. Nice one. Well, um, we'll be back next week reflecting on the season because by the time you're our next episode, the season will be over. Who knows? We might even be dishing out some end of season awards and giving our players of the season and maybe giving some ratings for our players this season. We haven't discussed it, to be honest, but it sounds like the sort of thing that could be a laugh. So um, hopefully by the time you hear from us next, we will be planning some form of European tour. So let's look forward to that. Let's look forward to wins against West Brom and Southampton. Thank you, ladies and gents. Come on, your irons. And remember, there's only one. Samasiabu! The Athletic.